How you doing, Brian? Nick, what is up? Doing pretty well. Um, we just talked with Scott Hazard from, uh, you, you say the company name because I always trip over it. <laughs> the company is Atlassian. Um, and I'm sure if you're in tech, you're familiar with Bitbucket, Trello, um, what's what's the other Jira. chat or something like Jira. Like yeah. it, and even on the consumer side, you've probably used their products and not even knowing you're using them. That's true. Yeah. So, you know, part of what's interesting about talking with Scott today is our uh, conversation was geared more around the workplace and really the evolution of the workplace, particularly with all of the change, how, uh, you know, space planning uh, concepts uh, that we might have had at the beginning of the year have transformed into something that uh, is considerably different. But Scott seems to have had his finger on the pulse of this uh, every step of the way. And really, I think, helped frame uh, some interesting uh, ideas uh, really around sort of the anthropology of workspace as much as the uh, uh, physical dimensions of workspace itself. Yeah, you've got it. And we, we kind of talked about everything from talent, um, building out a workspace, their cool building that they're building down in Sydney to his favorite book. So, um, well, I guess not a book, but his favorite piece of media that's had a big impact on him. So I think with that, we'll just let the uh, folks get on with the conversation. Let's do it. Thanks for joining us for another edition of Lead.exe. I'm Brian Comerford in Denver, Colorado. And I'm Nick Lozano in Washington, D.C. And we're pleased today to be joined by our special guest, Scott Hazard. He is the VP and Global Head of Real Estate and Workplace Experience for Atlassian. Scott, thanks for taking the time out of your schedule to join us today. Oh, thrilled to be here. Thanks for having me. So I imagine most listeners, uh, kind of like myself, do not immediately couple the idea of real estate and Atlassian together. Uh, and so uh, if you can kick us off with a little bit about your background and, uh, you know, kind of what your current role and title mean. You bet. No, it's, it's, uh, it's not an unusual question. And, and my background is a little less uh, I guess, normal in the, the commercial real estate space. I started my career at Apple and I'm actually a mechanical engineer um, by, by sort of education. I did business and engineering undergrad and grad. Um, and I spent my first five years in product design, working on the Mac computers, the cables, connectors, antennas um, across the Mac product family. Um, and then about five years in, I was asked to move into the retail team um, to work and bring some of the engineering thinking and processes, particularly on some of the specialized materials uh, like custom glass, um, the AV network systems um, into the retail space. And that was in 2008, right, is the Cube and some of the, the U.S. retail um, was really starting to take off. We just launched the iPhone. It was a very exciting time at Apple. Uh, and being over in, in retail development, I ended up with sort of a different sense of delivery where products I'd work on in, in the, the product side would live on the shelf for, you know, max kind of 12 months. And then, you know, off you'd go to the next revision. Um, where I'd work on projects, you know, around the world where we deliver retail spaces, um, and those are still there today. Um, so I, I ended up feeling a different kind of ROI for for the cycles and for the travel and all the hard work that that went into whether it was product or retail. Um, and was fortunate to be uh, asked actually to go over to Google um, to lead a team in product design as they were working on Google Glass uh, very confidentially at the time within Google X. Um, I went through the 15 interviews you go through at Google. Um, and was lucky enough to get a job offer, but actually turned the offer down, um, recognizing what I just mentioned, which is I was getting more personal sort of feeling of, of delivery and value from physical environments. Um, and I was fortunate that Google came back nine months later and asked me to, to come over and start helping them think about bringing Google Glass and some of their other physical products to market. Um, so I went over to Google in 2013 um, and started a team uh, around retail development, really focused on taking what they were so good at in the software space um, and translating that customer interaction into a physical product environment. Um, and it was a very exciting time at Google. Aside from Google Glass, Waymo, and the self-driving cars were kicking off through a bunch of medical products. Um, they just started to move into the Pixel family and some of the hardware um, that's now a pretty big focus for the company today. Um, so very exciting time at, at Google. You never knew sort of month to month what product was going to come knocking on your door and tell you they needed some level of support. Um, and I thought I'd stay at, at Google um, until I got a call from Atlassian. 
and they were looking for a leader for their commercial real estate portfolio, which was not sort of my traditional area of interest. Um, but I was really struck by the the quality of the company as I got to know them. I actually hadn't heard of Atlassian when they reached out uh, through the recruiting, but um, found out they were sort of this well-kept secret of a company. Um, they'd been around for a long, long time, but based in Sydney, Australia, and I guess really was fascinated by the concept of this really incredible culture of a company that was sort of under the radar and not getting the same level of visibility. Um, so although I wasn't sort of initially passionate in the commercial space, as I mentioned, um, the, the process of meeting the people, interviewing, um, chatting with some of the key leaders in the company, um, and then starting to get to know more about what made this company really work, which was the values, the, the sort of the culture of the people, um, I really saw a retail opportunity in some ways to sort of tell their story. They're a software company. They're a very large, successful software company. Um, but just like Google, when you're a software company, it's hard to actually tell your story in physical terms um, to your customers. And you're living in two dimensions rather than three, um, like a physical product company. Um, so uh, really, again, saw an opportunity from a retail perspective to create that third dimension through the commercial office space and kind of bring um, more of that company out to the public because it's sort of this, again, well-kept secret that um, is less well-kept now. But, you know, back in 2018, there, there was just really, it was palpable. You could sense this sort of ready to, to launch moment uh, for the culture. And I think, um, you know, living in the Valley where talent is the scarcity um, rather than companies, um, recognizing that we could end up retaining and attracting the best talent rather than selling product but using sort of the same retail approach in physical environments um, to, again, sell the company and what makes the company so special rather than a phone, a computer, or a wearable. Um, so that, that's sort of the unusual journey of how, you know, product design to retail to, to commercial. Um, but, you know, the common thread there is really um, just connection between um, a product and an environment. And whether it's a, a phone in a store, whether it's a, a person and a company, sort of that, that connection is something that I'm, I'm fascinated by and I love, I love iterating on. Well, 2020 has got to be an interesting year for you, considering the definition of workspace has completely been upended for just about every, every company that's out there. Certainly for anyone, certainly for anyone who's been lucky enough to, uh, to retain their, their job, right? Through, through everything that's uh, transitioned because there's obviously a lot of jobs that uh, they, they do not translate into remote workspace. That's right. That's right. Um, but we've been really fortunate. And I think there, you know, anything in life, you can either wait to see how things unfold or you can sort of jump in and try to drive um, where you want things to go. And uh, I was really proud of the team, um, both with my push and without the push of really wanting to reinvent um, what we offer and how we keep the company connected, as well as all of this new sort of green field in front of us around sort of the new opportunities. And we haven't, you know, again, from a from an Atlassian perspective, I think we're, we're incredibly fortunate in many ways, one of which is that our business hasn't been massively affected uh, from the pandemic and sort of the global shutdowns. Um, secondly, because of that, um, we haven't needed to or, or had a strategy around um, dispositioning or reducing our physical footprint. Um, and we've actually grown our company by over 1,300 people since March um, when we went home. So huge percentage of our company, we're about 6,500 now. So, you know, 20 plus percent growth of people who have never actually been in any of our physical offices because we've been out of the office since March. Um, and, and around the world, we're in um, 14 offices in eight countries, um, just like any other multinational, um, different parts of the world are different places in terms of reemergence and, and opening offices. So um, we've really been um, pivoting, of course, into digital offerings from physical, um, where we think about services and events and ways to sort of bring people together and continue to maintain the culture that's really special about the company. Um, but also really recognizing that instead of um, 14 offices now, we actually picked up another 6,500 um, because people's homes are now our offices. And so um, a big focus for us has been, you know, within the workplace, how do we kind of connect those new 6,500 environments into the 14 um, and really make sure that people not only can be productive during the pandemic, but that as we emerge from the pandemic, just like a lot of other tech companies, um, we're really giving our employees an opportunity to not only be flexible and choose where and how they want to be productive, um, but make sure that there's sort of a, a parity between those environments in a way that doesn't feel like if you're home, there's sort of the downside of X, Y, and Z versus being in the office with the upside. 
Um, and, and that'll never be sort of a perfectly net equal equation. But the more we can think about investing and sort of connecting those dots for our employees um, really does result in a different level of care um, and sort of nurturing from the company side that I think really comes across. Uh, that's cool to hear. That's really interesting. Didn't you guys just build a brand new uh, headquarters in Sydney or you're going to build one? Yeah, no. So it's a um, it's a very exciting project. It's uh, I've actually spent about uh, five months um, with my family over in Sydney uh, over the years getting the, the project moving. We've been working on that since 2015. So actually well before I joined the company. Um, and it's, you know, any project of that scale. Um, we have deep partnerships with four or five different parts of the New South Wales government. Um, we've got um, a very complicated site in the middle of sort of what what is um, a major transit hub in, in the middle of Sydney. Um, so we are absolutely proceeding with our headquarters. Um, it will be completed in 2025. Um, so we're nowhere near sort of the end. Um, but it's also been a really interesting time because we don't um, really have decisions to make. We're in the middle of a 10-year process, in effect. Um, and really seeing the team work through some of the, the phases we always needed to around design and development, um, but in a very different way distributed. We have a multinational team um, across the globe, and I think every time zone, um, including consultants of you know well in excess of 100 people. And normally in projects like this, you all fly in and have these workshops and lock the doors for a week and have dinners at night and build sort of a team culture and a real um, chemistry amongst the group. And the real challenge on the project has been everybody doing it from their, their living rooms or their houses or their home offices um, and, and missing that sort of in-person collaboration, as well as um, I think some of the, the pushback and debate that comes out of the in-person um, experience. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the things that we've been acknowledging is that it's much harder to disagree with somebody over a screen than over a person so, or in person because um, it, it seems much more confrontational and aggressive when actually you can just be you know, productively interrogating. So um, we've been working through those dynamics as a team, but I'm incredibly proud of the group kind of keeping things on track um, and moving through some very exciting phases of, of public approval um, and public display we're in right now. Um, we're out for public exhibition of our design um, across the city and, and country and really exciting to see all the feedback and excitement coming coming out of sort of what we're, we're trying to achieve in that building. Well, I imagine with uh, 6,500, uh, you know, effectively work from home employees, you probably also have the advantage of having roughly 6,000, I would guess, uh, office dogs that get to be... <laughs> part of the culture as well, right? <laughs> we've, we've always, you're, you're exactly right. And, and just like Google, we've always been pet friendly at Atlassian. So as we go throughout the, the sort of countries we're in, one of the bigger challenges, particularly in, in some of the um, Asian parts of, the, of our portfolio are finding offices that are actually dog friendly. Um, and we have big challenges with this. And this is like a thou shalt must have in requirement because it is a big part of our culture and letting our four-legged friends sort of keep us company at the office. So um, not new to us, but yes, you see a lot more of people's home and life and children and family and ecosystem um, now than you ever did for sure when they'd come sort of buttoned up into our, our facilities. And that's one of the great things I've, I've kind of actually enjoyed about this whole situation um, is that more people are willing to hop on a conference call and actually turn on their cameras. Yeah. Like, I remember before this, you'd hop on a, a Zoom and I'd be like one of two people actually have my camera on and it's just basically a conference call. Um, so it's been really cool to see people just be willing to turn their cameras on and have that interaction face to face. Absolutely. I mean, it's helpful when we've got like our global newscasters, kids interrupting broadcasts and sort of dogs jumping on computers. <laughs> yeah, it's just you know, there's, there's, lots, there's lots of great public examples of leadership around that and just working through, you know, whatever comes with that. But um, I've had a couple of different uh, board meetings since we've been distributed. And both of them, my son was very helpful to pop in and interrupt and totally interrupt my train of thought on this thing. And and you're right, it's becoming not only normal, but sort of this like nice byproduct of the way we're working and definitely sort of a silver lining of the pandemic is you're, you're seeing another dynamic of people that you just wouldn't normally have visibility into. Yeah, now my son, he's five. So I'm right in the same situation in you. <laughs> as soon as I get on a video meeting, like I am instantly the most interesting person in the world. It doesn't matter what's happening right before that, but as soon as that comes on, um, you know, he wants to see what I'm doing. And he actually, I was on a video meeting with somebody and he's like, why is your head so big? He says the other person is just the angle of the camera, you know, the laptop lid. But 
like you said, it's it's been fun and and people get a laugh out of it, right? Because you know it's a it's a five year old. He doesn't mean anything by it. He's like your head just looks big. Hundred <laughs> percent. And I don't know about you, but my son's about a little over three feet, and so when he walks by, he'll just like the top of his hair will hit the camera. He's got sort of like <laughs> yeah. notable hair, so people can always tell he's sort of like about to interrupt um, because he's <laughs> sort of the hair tracking into the frame. It's it's pretty classic. Yeah, my, my fault too was it, it, like Snapchat made this like virtual camera called uh, Snap Camera, if you're familiar mm-hmm. with it. Mm-hmm. And I had installed it for mine because I do some live streaming as well too. And it's it's just a fun thing to turn on. And I showed that to him. And I think that's where I got myself in trouble that he thinks anytime that I'm on a video meeting is a Snap Camera session. Um, 100%. But, 100%. It's one of those he's, things. He's ready to see the talking <laughs> potato, right? And the potato, like, <laughs> uh, like the Tiger King. Like, I, I don't even remember, but, you know, all that stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. No, the backgrounds are, uh, are a, big, a big part of my son's enjoyment. He always wants a background on. And like you said, I'm always trying to keep it sort of to be honestly my background so that you can sort of authentically engage with people. But he, he disagrees. He would like, <laughs> he'd like some clouds or like the rainbow or something else going on. So. <laughs> right. So I think it's really cool that you're pushing on with your plans for, um, you know, your office space that you haven't really changed stuff as much because I know Brian and I have had discussions with other CIOs and CFOs, and they're talking about reducing their office footprint. Um, are, are you guys thinking about doing any of that at all in general, kind of letting people do more of the work at home? Or you think that there's just going to be a time period where there'll be a transition and things will kind of go back to normal? Yeah. So pre-pandemic, we were 10% remote. Um, so we had a remote sort of set of muscles already built. Now we're obviously developing them in different ways than we had anticipated as we're 100% remote. But um, this had not been sort of a new philosophy for us as a company. Um, and, and so um, what we're doing right now is really just sort of recognizing that um, as, the, as we deliver software and services, we are not in a, a circumstance where we need to actually force people or even push people to come back to a physical facility um, again, a luxury that we're really trying to take advantage of. And 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 sort of one of the, the things I, I tell folks outside of our company is we're in the lucky position of not needing to sort of test on our people um, and not needing to, to have some of these experimentations that um, don't always go well happen on a live population. So we're pretty committed to letting kind of the dust settle on the pandemic before we we bring people back into offices. And I've been talking a lot about the threshold of just psychological safety um, we don't want our folks coming back into the office until they're psychologically safe to do so. Um, and this can be well outside of the office environment. This includes the commute um, and all of the the sort of point to point transit pieces and decisions we have to make every day that we didn't used to think about, but we're thinking a lot about now. So um, really clear that you know we're not we're not solving a problem of how do we get back to productivity um, because we've been able to be pretty productive at home again based on on what we do and how we deliver value to our customers um, and and as i mentioned earlier we're also growing and hiring and trying to sort of not only lean into the pandemic um, but really be sort of uh, an option for people who are now dealing with layoffs and furloughs from other locations we've been um, really successful in getting some really great people over from Qantas um, in australia um, because obviously the airlines are in distress and in a furlough mode and sort of um, opportunistically recognizing there are these unbelievably talented people um, whose sectors right now are under attack. This could be in events, this could be hospitality, this could be aviation, as we mentioned, but um, we're, we're trying to take advantage of that and really be symbiotic where we can help employees find a new home, um, as well as really upskill and bring a new diverse perspective into the company. Um, so what that means is as we're growing during a pandemic, our office capacity is actually naturally right-sizing. So if before the pandemic, I had a desk and seat for everybody, which I did and call it 100% capacity because we were always in high growth mode and didn't want to have sort of empty real estate sitting around. Um, Now that we've grown 20 plus percent during pandemic, I'm already inching into the sort of 70s in terms of capacity. And so you can sort of stand still in a high growth company and do nothing and things actually right size from a portfolio perspective right in front of your eyes. So as this thing stretches on and as we see um, we're, we're continuing to hire and ramp up and bring new bodies on across our portfolio. Um, we could well be into the 60% capacity by the time we come back into an office sort of post-pandemic as the dust settled, as I mentioned. And that means not only do we not need to sort of get rid of any of our office space, um, we'll have this sort of luxurious position of being able to just evaluate empirically um, what changes, what do we need to evolve within our footprint 
And ultimately, what is the demand uh, from our employees for these spaces? And I think, you know, there's a lot of conversation happening right now at an industry level around supply, um, but very little around demand because you can't get people to understand or, or speak um, about life post pandemic since we're still in the middle of it. Um, so I'm always struck by that sort of imbalance. And again, as in sort of an econ minded person, um, I don't know how to make decisions without understanding both sides of the equation. So um, I can sit on my supply, which is what we're doing, and then let the team sort of come back with a demand statement over time. And one of the things that you know we've always prided ourselves on as a workplace team at Atlassian is flexibility. And again, back to retail, um, imagining a broad range of journeys for employees rather than a journey through our spaces. Um, so we've always thought about, you know, how do we beyond the desk in the conference room, how do we create all these other um, spaces, opportunities, interaction moments, collaboration spaces? Um, so now the idea is that we already have this portfolio. We've got a pretty broad range of spaces pre-pandemic. So now we have a pretty good testing bed to bring people back in as they start to understand their own psychological safety and preferences for what a workplace is post-pandemic and let them sort of um, adjust the palette and play with what's already there to inform future remodels, future space growth, um, and anything else that we may need to evolve sort of for a post-pandemic workplace. You know, hearing you talk about all of that is, it's really interesting to me because uh, several years ago, I had the opportunity to work very closely in the design of a new building that the company I was with was constructing. And part of what that meant was taking trips out to uh, West Michigan. And, uh, you know, at that time, I never even knew that Michiganers uh, divided the state up between, <laughs> you know, everything yeah. that was on the Detroit side and everything that was, uh, you know, on, on the uh, 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 Cedar Rapids side. And, you know, um, part of that included making trips out to, you know, all of these different uh, furniture mills, you know, so uh, got to go out to Hayworth and, you know, Herman Miller and Steelcase. And at each of those locations, part, part of what was so interesting to me was this was kind of at the, you know, the starting point of this open office environment, you know, this more very much what I'm hearing you say in terms of, you know, how do you create those environments to be highly collaborative and, you know, to, to really give line of sight to people so that there's, you know, this higher degree of interaction. But at each of these companies, there was actually someone who had the role of sociologist uh, effectively, who had this, you know, philosophical uh, approach that was part of their whole sales pitch, right? It's, uh, you know, let's let's talk about um, from a, a sociological perspective, right? Why this is sort of this next evolution and next turning point of what uh, the office experience needs to be. And I, I, I'd like to get some of your thoughts on that, first of all, but I, I also am curious now that we've also sort of shifted into this new, uh, you know, where we just got done opening up a lot of these spaces, now we're becoming accustomed to having a plate of plexiglass in between us every time <laughs> we're interacting with someone. So it's almost like we've had this weird reversal in, in yeah. a sense. You, you know, know the funny thing about that plexiglass is, Brian, is that they put it in front of you and then you have a mask on and then people lean in like this to hear <laughs> what somebody is saying right. so it, six it feet of, six feet yeah <laughs> <Exactly>. <laughs> that's right that's right so so i think you know it, you bring up some great points and and i i love uh the world of pendulum swings i really do and i think the world does a lot of it we're like oh my god everything is this everything must be this everything and, and open and closed offices is probably like one of the better textbook examples of like everybody run to the left everybody run to the right right and I think, you know, back to the retail side of things, I guess I, I guess my personal philosophy is all of those are stereotypes. And we're actually talking in stereotypes, even at a job family level or even at sort of a local level. And so um, one of the things I've always been fascinated by in commercial and, and recognize that commercial is less of my career experience, more of it is about connecting individuals through a journey to get them to transact or to get help at the right way from customer service. And one of the things that, that I was struck by when I joined the team was that um, we were very interested in surveying, um, post-occupancy surveys, um, mid-year surveys, sort of how's the space, what are you getting out of it, um, what level of, of awesome is it, because we believe we have great office spaces and we hope you agree as well, but, but sort of a, a little bit of leading the witness there. 
And so one of the things as I joined that I've always been fascinated by is just direct interaction with the customer. Um, and again, making sure I understand what the sort of demand side is in this case, because historically in retail, it's customer demand. Um, and so I, I was pretty attracted to that early on. Um, and so we started a new process um, within the team a couple of years ago um, that are something very complicated called focus groups, um, where we just sat down with the different functions and teams. And if there was you know, an organization of 350 marketing folks, we may get two or three different sub organizations of marketing and we get you know, 12 to 15 people to sit around a round table and chat with us. And it was a really simple dialogue. It was really um, a, a unstructured, just like our lovely chat today and framed up by kind of three basic questions. Um, what do you need that you don't have? What do you have that you don't need? And any other feedback you want to provide? And that's it, right? And what was always funny was we'd kick off these meetings and people would like look at the clock and they're like, God, we're going to be done in five minutes. And we'd have to cut <laughs> off every single group at like an, a five past the hour um, because once the ball got rolling, people could really contribute quite a bit, it turned out. So one of the things that I will never forget is we were sitting in one of the focus group uh, team. It was Bitbucket. Um, one of the, um, obviously one of the product teams within Atlassian. And there were two female engineers sitting next to each other in the focus group. Um, and through the, the discussion, we found out they were both kind of in their mid to late twenties. Um, and they actually sat next to each other. And so we went around and we were having this, this engagement with the team and they were both, um, helpful and courageous to share with us that, um, they were exact opposites. They sit next to each other. One could only get work done in like acoustic silence without anything going on who needed like the bulky, huge headphones and still would hear everybody in the open office talking around her while her, her friend to the left would only be able to work with like social energy going on and needed that distraction and stimulation to be able to sort of get the juices flowing. Mm -hmm. and, and I love this example because any company that I know would say, here you go, here's your kit of parts, um, go get them guys on your first day of work where they literally need 180 degree different kit of parts to be effective at our company, right? And so lo and behold, through the conversation, it turns out um, one of those individuals tends to go to our library um, space, which is a conference room kind of set up as a library where there's no talking allowed and she can get her work done there. While the other one loves to be up on the 13th floor where we serve meals and where it's sort of the coffee shop vibe. Um, neither of them sit at their desks, right? And neither of them can really <laughs> effectively get the work done at their desks. And so um, not only was this enjoyable to interact with and hear about, but um, it really reminds us that um, these are stereotypes we were designing for. We thought because they were both designer or engineer level X on this product that they should both get a double monitor and they probably wanted a padded keyboard and a really high gaming chair and we would be wrong on both fronts, right? And so really fascinated by this sort of individual aspect of what a space needs to provide. And that sort of pushes us to look at things well outside of commercial. This is where it's solved more effectively in hospitality. Um, as you start to look at other environments, residential, where people truly are making their own decisions. So one of the things even pre-pandemic that we've been fascinated by as a team, and we're tinkerers and experimenters at heart, if you hadn't picked that up, is sort of trying to pull from all of these omni environments to create the best and, and, and sort of the, the greatest hits of all of those to bring into an office experience. Because um, one of the things that, that I've always defined for the team around success for a new project is people wanting to bring their friends and family into the office. Um, that's what we define as a bar for success because that means you feel like this space actually reflects you, your personal values and who you are both at the office and at home with your family. So, so I guess, you know, went, went in a couple of ways to answer your question, but really thinking about how do we make sure that individuals feel that personal connection and reflection of self in the office space, because that ultimately um, leads to retention and higher job satisfaction. And I, I joke with people that people leave apartments, but they don't leave homes, right? And offices can feel like apartments or they can feel like homes. And so the more we can make it feel um, like the home side, as you're hearing me describe, um, we find that that gives people a longer runway at our company and makes them happier, more productive employees. Wow. I like that, I like that. I like that example. <laughs> I, I went through an office build not too long ago and we had the, the whole same conversation too, right? It's like open office, closed office, open offices are what, what everybody wants. But then when you actually ask the people what they want, they want something completely different. <laughs> and, and that's and, and the question. Make, yeah. it doesn't make anybody wrong or right. I think what we've landed on is yes, we need both and we need a range to be able to give 
us the options, even within an hour a day, to have an open or a closed environment as the two engineers taught us in Bitbucket, right? Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. the answer, as always, is an and statement rather than an or. And that's what I've always been fascinated by with this whole pendulum swing I mentioned is people really gravitate toward the answer rather than recognizing that there is no discrete answer. It's actually a, a subset of a range of options that we need to produce. And, mm -hmm. and as I was sort of hitting on post-pandemic, I'd be arrogant and naive to think that I knew what that meant post-pandemic. But I do believe that we've got the right starting point and range from our pre-pandemic program to be able to facilitate and understand that from our employees when they emerge from the post-pandemic world into some type of new psychological safety. Yeah, Nick and I are big on the yes and approach. Uh, and this also ties into some of uh, some recent discussions that I've had around this distinction between uh, digital and modern, right? Because digital exactly. has been this aspirational goal for so many, you know, companies, individuals, you know, product types uh, for such a long period of time. But now we've, we've reached, uh, again, another turning point, I think, into what is evolving out of that into this more modern state. And uh, I was I was talking with uh, another colleague the other day who who said, I still can't understand what you're talking about. You know, isn't digital modern? I mean, isn't that the same thing? And I said, well, from my perspective, you, you think of digital as having taken something that's, you know, sort of archaic and analog, maybe manual, you know, clunky, slow, inefficient, and you, you've helped to find every single touch point in that process and streamline it, you know, really sort of enhance what the experience can be. But to me, what is modern then going up to that next level is really having a culture that is attenuated to the literacy of being able to edit your preferences, mm -hmm. right? We become a preference-based orientation around these things. So that very much as you're saying, um, there, there are a unique set of options that are available to all of us, even if we're interacting with effectively the same thing. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it depends on how much sleep you got the night before, what you need to do for work. If you're writing performance reviews versus if you're having social conversations with visitors from out of town in another office. Right. And so one of the, the things that I love is that going into an office, I personally never had an office, by the way, I'm, I'm just a, a nomad. I, I roam throughout spaces. Um, but I've always been fascinated by like a lot of people don't know what they need as an environment until they actually come into the office that day. And it's like, mm. oh, I need your help on this. OK, I need some focus time then to be able to get that done by five o'clock. And so really recognizing that we, we'd be naive to think we could anticipate everybody's needs. And so, again, as you said, letting people define that for themselves and sort of adjust the environments to what they need to accomplish, given the day, the week, the month. Um, and I think that becomes the competitive advantage to an office from a home environment where I don't have those same degrees of freedom at home because I need to negotiate with my family and I've got different fixed constraints. And so that, again, is, is a really powerful sort of shift that I think we can lean into um, and really reposition the office around as sort of a value added instrument that also allows people to go learn something about themselves, build some self-awareness around their preferences, and then bring that back into their home environment to optimize for when they're not in the office. So sort of that feedback loop and that reinforcement um, is something we've been talking a lot about as a team. And, you know, I, I like your, your point on, I, I call it the digital and, and analog balance. Um, and, and my joke is always, you wanna keep one foot in digital and one foot in analog. There's a reason fashion from the 70s comes back in the 2000s. And it's like, there's a reason that some of my closest friends are paying $80 for a record right now that they could have paid 80 cents for in 1972, right? But some of these things are also about people and how we change and what, what makes us comfortable to evolve and shift. And I think there's that sort of whole concept that's really front center in a pandemic right now, which is we love to think about sort of this fast forward and you know post-pandemic world. But people don't change that quickly um, and, and, and aren't wanting to change that quickly. So I think there's a really interesting sweet spot we'll find as a culture around, hey, here are the things that were, were never quite right and I never wanted to sort of deal with um, in a, in a pre-pandemic world that now I can take advantage of um, that are different in this post-pandemic world. But here are also some things I want to pull forward and that I didn't want to let go of, even though a corporate citizen may have decided we were ready to do so. And so I think that sort of that balance and that open dialogue from employees to companies is going to be 
really a differentiator in how people um, attract and retain talent sort of post pandemic. Yeah, I, I appreciate what you're saying. It, to me, it, uh, it really helps frame kind of what that next evolution of workspace uh, ultimately becomes. I was just kind of trying to take a lot of what you were saying and filter it through my experience working with some of these sociologists that I told you about at the various furniture mills, because I imagine they've been wrestling with the same thing. It's like, well, wait a minute, I worked so hard to have this pitch around. <laughs> this is the approach that we're selling now. Uh, how do I, uh, you know, how do I reattune myself with that? No, and, and you're right. We've actually, pre-pandemic, we were working on an R&D project with Herman Miller, actually, for um, what we're calling nodes. And, and you're going to laugh soon because these are actually kind of what we need now in a post-pandemic world. But because we had 14 offices and a pretty mobile population, most of our functions were across three or four different geographies. So a fair amount of business travel would happen. People would drop in. You wouldn't expect them to be coming in. They'd, they'd want to sit near folks that they work with. Um, that they wouldn't normally see if they're coming from Amsterdam to San Francisco, want to sit with their their San Francisco team. Um, and we were finding this thing where like, oh, I came in late today. Now someone's sitting at my desk because they want to be able to sit and talk to Brian. Ah, this is so awkward. They're a visitor. Hey, don't want you to like, but you're in my chair with my keyboard and my gaming needs, right? And, and whatever sort of it was. And so um, we started working about a year and a half ago on this kit of parts we call nodes. And nodes are meant to be sort of like a center of a work group. And what they ultimately are, are just sort of a kit of parts um, with little stand-up whiteboards, could be digital displays to plug in and share code, could be sort of the picnic table and benches just to drop the food you brought in from Amsterdam, the waffles, which are my favorite, um, to <laughs> share with folks, the birthday cupcakes if you brought some in for somebody, you know, whatever it is, sort of the, the center of a, a community of desks. And we think these are going to be not only successful from the pre-pandemic work we were doing, but really successful post-pandemic where, again, people are more about, hey, this is where I'm gonna be today. This is not where I may be tomorrow. Less of a permanent sense of identities in a location. Um, so I think, you know, the, to your point around sort of like just got my pitch down, there are gonna be a ton of opportunities for the FF&E and everybody else uh, to reinvent themselves. And I think that, again, it's just like anything, either you wait and let the world um, react to you or you react to the world. And I think that, you know, this is also going to help us start to see, you know, who are the front footed vendors that really want to evolve and differentiate versus the commodity players that are um, not able to make that transition. Good thing about a Stroopwafel is it doesn't matter what country you're in. You can always just put that right over the top of a, you know, hot steaming cup of whatever it is. And <laughs> so so, It was so funny. I got to tell you guys the story. So I was working on the first building Apple store in downtown Amsterdam. And this was like 2010 or something. And, and I was, it was a really challenging project from a glass perspective. And so I was on site for probably three or four weeks. I'm just camped out in the Marriott right across the street from it, just like staring as they were trying to get things done at night um, or during the day and eating a lot of waffles, which I become quite fond of in my journeys there. And I literally was like, I literally came home and I wasn't married at the time. And I'm like, I got to import these things. Like I, I must be the, I must be the smartest guy on the planet to recognize waffles work everywhere, not just in Amsterdam. And then like a year later, I go to Trader Joe's and they're in Trader Joe's. And I'm like, ah, I missed the boat. I got distracted with my glass build outs. I forgot to import the waffles. Uh, uh, right. And I was ahead of Trader Joe's on those waffle imports. Just, you know. <laughs> That's great. I'm still waiting for the Albert Hine to open up down the street from me. There you go. There you go. <laughs> Since you're talking about space and, and a lot of people have been working from home, um, have you guys been like providing anything like ergonomic wise or anything for, for your staff so that they're more comfortable or, or any type of mindfulness things, you know, that because the work life integration is just becoming this blob, right? Yeah, a blur. And I know at least for uh, me, it's easy to <laughs> sit at my desk and just work forever because there's nothing else to do. <laughs> You bet. You, you bet. And uh, this has been probably a, a fun area. My, my events team. So one of the, the teams under, under me is internal events and how we sort of celebrate as a team and how we create these sort of, um, you know, calendars of weekly activities. It could be bonsai tree trimming in San Francisco while it's going to be, we did roller skating um, one day in one of our high rise off. I mean, you never know what's going to sort of drop out, um, but, but fun ways to sort of interrupt your, your monotony of a work day and come together as a culture. And that team um, blew me away with how quickly and how passionately they pivoted into online offerings. 
Um, and, and I think there was a lot of stuff in the press about some of the bigger companies, but um, th they were the first team that I knew of that created like the summer camp for kids um, that started in July so that, you know, Atlassians who were dealing with small kids um, could actually put a full week of programming that included arts and crafts and like all of this stuff, knowing camps had been canceled this year. And that was really a big impact on employees. Um, we've done a lot of movement works, walk this way challenges, just trying to get people, as you said, Nick, get out of their chair um, mm -hmm. into more sort of movement. Because one of the things that I'm always struck by is we used to move like a lot up and down the vertical floors. And as I mentioned, you guys, I was a nomad. So I was probably getting my steps in. I just didn't know it. Um, but I really recognize what I'm not getting in terms of movement now because I'm sitting in a chair. Um, so we're doing a lot of work around um, mindfulness, wellness, and just how do we, um, again, recognize that there's not a solution for everybody, but again, a range of, of options that people can opt in to participate in to really build self-awareness around sort of something that's just new for all of us, which is how do I get out of this sort of home screen burnout? Or not all of us, but most of us who weren't working predominantly remote before the pandemic. Um, we just literally last week um, launched a global ergonomics program. Must tell you, this wasn't due to the pandemic. This is just a really long process because we were trying to find a global partner that could really serve um, all of our offices and, and treat our people like a consistent sort of company environment rather than the multiple vendors that you know would create a, a different interaction model. Um, so we just are, are excitedly standing that up and that's gonna be online tutorials as well as personal Zoom sessions um, to get people dialed in at home and then, of course, when they come back into the office to be able to reflect that same level of support. Um, so ergonomics, as you hit on, is, is super, super key. Um, we've been doing a lot of mail outs and sort of sending surprise gifts to people. These are hilarious stories. I've sent I've sent uh, we had a big celebration for some key milestones the team hit. So I sent out some champagne um, across the globe, which, you know, my poor EA was like it took him like two weeks to get it all figured <laughs> out. But you learn all of these things about moving things around the world as in. Um, like you aren't allowed to deliver alcohol in India by law. And we didn't know that. So like all of a sudden there, there was like a hiccup on that side of the world where it just things you hadn't actually contemplated. So um, we're developing a lot of these sort of surprise and delight moments for our employees. And it's both to literally surprise and delight them because people's days we started talking about are monotonous and Tuesday versus Friday don't know. So kind of trying to create some punctuation in that run on sentence of life right now. Um, and, and those sort of surprise and delight moments that are kind of fleeting right now that we used to get more of in the physical interactive world. Um, and, and right now we're also working um, on what we call Team Anywhere, which is our new sort of flexible working style post pandemic that we're gonna be embracing globally. I mean, my team is really um, a key part of leading that effort because we understand the, the culture and the experience very well um, and, and helping to take the best of that and actually lean in to make that work in a um, a sort of asynchronous way um, so that we create, again, that democratic sort of parity across whatever environment, office, home, facility you're in. Um, so a lot of a lot of work to do there. Um, but but I think that, you know, even things like creating little online stores that we're talking about to help people go in and shop for all the items they need with an auto charge back to their business unit to get the ergonomic setup at home or to get those new um, digital tools um, that they hadn't known, but they saw somebody else use in a presentation that they know would be helpful. Um, we just rolled out last week a huge set of options for people for offsites. Um, how do you do these sort of virtual things or ways to team build in a smaller subset um, where normally it would be the wine trip to Napa or um, some in-person experience at a facility? So um, lots to do. It's And it really is always surprising <laughs> to me. People say, oh, you know, in real estate, you guys must have, you know, kind of had the year off. I'm like, oh, man. Um, we've been busier than we ever thought we would be, although not doing the things we would be doing any other year. Um, right. in any yeah. way. So it's just, it's counterintuitive um, that, that people can be as, as busy as they are sort of reinventing in different ways. But um, it's been an exciting year. And I think um, really a nice opportunity for true growth for people where I think one of the things historically that I've always marveled at is um, just the topic of career growth. And it's sort of like, oh, my boss didn't give me new things to do, so I didn't grow last year. Or um, I didn't get promoted, so I didn't grow in the last two years. And it's like, no, growth is actually about getting uncomfortable, dropping the things you know you're good at, and getting into something that you're not good at and practicing at until you are proficient, right? And so this has really been a transformational year of growth, not just for our team and our company, but for people to let go of those habits, those routines, those things that 
you know, we were intimately comfortable with. It may have been going to pizza every morning and getting your coffee. It may have been um, meeting your same friend for the pub on Thursday night. Like we've all had to let go of different sort of ceremonies and rituals that we're really tied to um, and create new ones. And I think that's really exciting if you look at it the right way. Uh, that's well said, and especially coming from someone who's made the uh, pivot from mechanical engineering to <laughs> working in real estate and work workplace experience. Yeah, not not your not your normal resume. I get that. It's always the first question people are like. So, uh, can you give me like a little bit of a dot connect here? Like, how did this happen for you? <laughs> Hey, I used to be a professional chef. So every now and then when someone looks at my LinkedIn, they're like, how did you wind up in technology? I was like, well, I walked into a room. Really, that's how it happened. But (laughs) yeah, it is true. I mean, we all at least when I grew up, like my grandfather worked for 38 years at Texaco. He started in the mailroom and he retired um, with his gold watch from there. And so I I think there was it was like early in my career where we, we talked about this sort of like frantic shifting that was already starting to happen. And you know, usually it was like 2.3 jobs in your career and then it became like 12. Um, and, and that to me is also a pendulum swing to some degrees. And I think we're going to come back to like, hey, like I found my groove. I like doing it for four to five years and, and then I move on to the next thing. And so um, it's, you brought it up. So I, I had to comment. I'm like, I see that coming back as well into like, hey, I'm not doing 50 different things in my career. Maybe I'll do like four or five. Right. Um, and, and make sure that I sort of lean in and get get that feedback loop and value added for myself and for the organization. That's right. Yeah. Electronic music DJ to a smart bar entrepreneur and Internet radio startup entrepreneur to whatever it is that I do now. Yeah, there's <laughs> there's a lot of different working thread, paths right? in there. There's always that red thread you can pull through and go, OK, well, these are all core principles that I've held on to <laughs> right. that allowed me to get comfortable in this new environment or to make this this leap into this this kind of frontier. Yeah, for sure. Well, Scott, thank you so much for taking this time with us today. Uh, you know, this has been a fascinating conversation and one that, um, you know, of course, being familiar with Atlassian, I mean, it was it was good to get schooled up a little bit on these other companies, you know, Apple, Google. I mean, you know, thanks for bringing us along on on that journey as well. <laughs> it's, it's been great fun chatting with you guys. And and I could do this stuff, you know, for 83 hours, as you know. I mean, I love I love the idea of sort of where space meets anthropology meets kind of technology. And I think that's, that's just going to become more and more exciting as we see um, sort of that unionization moment of people kind of taking a different level of control and giving different level of input um, into how and where they work. Well, I think you can, it goes without saying you can sign me and Nick up for, uh, you know, being in that first wave of touring the new office in Sydney. Awesome. Uh, you're you're in. No. And, and I, I got to give you guys, one last plug, like not only is it like the most lovely place to work and live, um, but the climate is so lovely. We've actually been able to really push the envelope on sustainability in a different way. Um, it's going to be a naturally ventilated building in a lot of areas where you can oh. just open the windows and let that incredible Sydney climate sort of come in and, and not require that MEP artificial air circulation. Oh, cool. um, we're also doing a huge push into carbon neutrality um, and reducing the amount of embedded carbon in the structure by going to CLT. Um, and laminated wood away from a lot of the concrete and steel where the carbon lives. Um, And then really making sure that it's day one, 100% renewable and powered by renewable energy. Um, So yes, it'll be a future headquarter for us, but it's much more about how do we tell the world and and set the precedent for how one should build a high rise in a sustainable way um, that doesn't have to get you to a different outcome um, or, or any sort of compromise along the way. In fact, it gets you to a better outcome. So I'm super excited to tour you guys through at some point in the actually relatively distant future um, <laughs> 25 is not new but but uh really really exciting project and again so interesting during this time to continue to push ahead and and be as confident as we are and sort of where we're headed well hopefully we can have a lot more conversations between now and then you know, i'm sure we will. On progress i'm sure we will and then just one last question for you before we let you go do you have a book or a piece of media that's had a big influence on you you bet so my uh, my first office, so I, I'm like the, the opposite of a normal person. I started with a corner <laughs> office at Apple when I was like an intern and, and first out of college. Oh, and an I intern totally, in a corner office. <laughs> yeah, yeah, literally. And and so and I slowly <laughs> sort of like shedded all weight and seniority so that like I have no office. I haven't had an office. Atlassian doesn't have offices. Google didn't have offices, just open spaces and sort of like I said, nomading. Um, but outside of my office that was that awesome corner office. I had a balcony too. It was an infinite loop. It was awesome. 
Um, outside, there was a poster um, that uh, was an Apple poster from the early, I think it was from the mid 80s. And we had this sort of 1984 poster um, next to it, the, the Olympic um, runner. And then there was this poster to the left and it was a really simple phrase that says, if you do something really well, um, throw it away and do it better. And that's something that's always stuck with me is sort of like when, when something really turns out to be a success, don't sit there and rest on it and point at it. Um, and I don't always have to agree with throwing it away, um, but I do like the concept of sort of challenging and continuing to reinvent and iterate and not thinking that you sort of arrived or nailed it because um, you never do um, if you look at it from the right perspective. So that's really been sort of a, a subliminal guiding light for me, um, even when things are great or when things aren't as great to recognize that like it's always a process, not sort of a destination. Ah, that's great. Nick, I think that's our first poster reference when, whenever we've asked that question. When he said that, it reminds me, Maya, Maya Angela has this quote. She's like, do the best you can until you know better. Then when you know better, do better. Um, yep. so, so it kind of reminds me exactly of that. Yeah, and this was a Steve thing, right? Like Steve yeah. really hated when people told him it, this was the best. Because in his view, nothing was ever the best. It could always be better. And he was mm -hmm. right. Um, and that was something that I think really, I was at Apple for my first nine years of my career, very impressionable nine years. Um, and that really has stuck with me. And, and I think it also um, helps me lead teams through difficult times um, and through successful ones without sort of feeling like you, you, you need to sort of call it a day. Mm. It's also a very post-punk ethic. Rip it yeah. up and start again, right? That was the <laughs> whole thing. That, that, 80s, that 80s run going on, that's right. <laughs> I love it. Well, Scott, where can folks find you if they're trying to search for you? What's the best place? Yeah, you bet. Uh, I am on LinkedIn. Uh, I don't tend to tweet uh, much. I'm a three-dimensional person, so I like the pictures and the, and the words. Um, I like to, uh, to post some of the workplace stuff on LinkedIn, so you can find me there. Um, you can find me on Facebook, although I don't use it a ton. I just use it to sort of connect to some of the, the people outside of the U.S. Um, and then, you know, email uh, is always a great way to reach out as well. As hazard to Gmail. Love to hear from people. That's great. Well, Scott Hazard. You got just your last name at Gmail. I did. So I, so great story. I was one of the first Gmail <laughs> signups. And that's why I don't have like a 3289. Um, so <laughs> and so it's funny when I'm giving people the name, they always want to put a dot in it. It's Shazard at Gmail instead of S.Hazard or anything else. So Shazard. <laughs> Classic. <laughs> Very cool. Well, Scott Hazard, it's been great having you on. And uh, we, uh, we hope to be able to speak with you again. You bet. Brian, Nick, thanks so much. Really enjoyed the chat. And uh, you guys have a great, great forum here. All right, you too. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thank thanks, you, sir.